chapter two of early days of old oregon by katherine barry judson this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two captain cook's adventures down from the north came a rip-roaring wind and the two little sailing ships that in march seventeen seventy eight were off the oregon coast had to turn and run reef their sails and scud before the mighty blasts that was all captains could do in those days the ships were very small without steam power the wind blew them this way and that and wind and tide together often sent them crashing on the rocks amidst roaring breakers so captain cook's two sailing ships the resolution and the discovery went scudding to the south under bare poles while the storm king of the north blew the waves of the pacific mountain high then when the storm was over the doughty captain unfurled his sails and let another breeze blow him north again but squalls came so tacking was necessary captain cook had to stay far out at sea lest the wind and tide should send him among the white-capped breakers he saw through his telescope on the oregon shore our ships complained wrote one of the officers of the creaking groaning ships blown by high winds and waves stop and think of the date it was seventeen seventy eight over on the north atlantic coast the american colonies were fighting the revolutionary war with great britain but of the north pacific coast no one knew anything at all it is true a few spanish explorers had been sent up this coast but their reports were poor worse yet they had not been printed so the world knew little enough about the spanish explorations on this coast we know now however that one spanish explorer was sure he saw a river mouth or a bay on that north pacific coast there were sandbars across the mouth of this bay and the waves broke high over them he did not dare to cross the bar still he named it the rio san roque that is the river of st roque besides this rather uncertain river it was thought that there was an inlet or strait somewhere along this coast all that any one knew was that some two hundred years before in fifteen ninety two an old portuguese named juan de fuca had said that he had been in this part of the world and that there was an inlet there which connected the atlantic ocean with the pacific but no one else had ever seen it and no one knows to this day whether juan de fuca really saw those straits or not all nations were looking at this time for an inlet called the straits of anian some water passage between the two great oceans which lie east and west of america no such straits ever existed yet not many years ago an arctic explorer found straits far north leading into the arctic ocean so that a ship actually can go from the atlantic to the pacific now if it goes by way of the icebergs and bitter cold of the arctic ocean now captain cook had been sent out to look for these straits and also to look for a rumoured river of the west which the indians said flowed toward the setting sun and emptied into the bitter waters that was why he watched the shore so closely with his spy-glass all he could see of oregon was that it was hilly covered with trees with low valleys between but he could see no river as he sailed farther north he thought he saw a broad stretch of water leading toward the east at first he flattered himself he had found those straits then he decided it was only a low marshy land but he was so disappointed 
that he called a projecting point of land cape flattery and cape flattery it is to-day on the southern shore of the straits of san juan de fuca on he sailed northward this time with a breeze from the south until he found himself at the entrance of a large sound just at sunset the ship sailed in so far as captain cook knew it had no name so he called it king george's sound although it was later called nootka sound yet the spanish had already seen it and they had called it san lorenzo nootka sound was a beautiful place after weeks on the stormy ocean with those complaining ships the sun was shining and the sky was blue the water rippled softly on many little islands which were fresh and green in the early spring on the shore were dense forests of tall straight trees which came down to the water's edge the water was too deep to anchor the sailors tied the ships to the trees with great hawsers the indians had been watching them but paid little attention to them that evening though many canoes paddled around them the next day they welcomed the ship in great state three canoes first came out in the foremost were ten men in the second six and in the last were two all were dressed in long robes of sea otter skins reaching from their necks to their knees there were no sleeves of course the robes were only skins fastened together their faces and legs were painted with red and black in stripes and squares their long black hair was bunched up in club fashion on the top of their heads and mixed in with it were spruce twigs the green leaves of the spruce showed through the black hair over all this downy white feathers were strewed an english boy who was a prisoner among them some years later tells us exactly how they dressed when visitors came as these canoes neared the ship a chief arose in the foremost one to make a speech he had a rattle in his hand which he shook when he talked he talked a long time indeed in a very loud voice and strewed the water about him with downy white feathers that was a ceremony of welcome other indians in the two canoes behind him strewed the water with a reddish powder by all this the englishmen understood they were invited to come on shore when the first chief became tired another arose and talked in the same loud tone still motioning the white men to the shore these indians were not in the least afraid of their white visitors then after a while the men began to sing one of their songs it was a soft pleasing melody sung in perfect time and they kept time to it by striking the canoes with their paddles the english planned to stay in this pleasant harbour for a while they needed fresh water and new masts they needed also fresh meat such as game and fish and vegetables or greens of some kind besides this the ships were going into the alaskan waters where it was bitterly cold when they saw the indians with many furs they began to trade for them for the men would need warm clothing and warm bedding such as bearskin rugs when cook and his officers began to trade for furs to their astonishment the indians would not accept as payment the bells and beads and looking-glasses which the south sea islanders and the hawaiians had taken nothing was accepted by these nootka sound indians but metal like the indians who burned the first white men's ship they saw for the metal in it so these red men were eager for brass and copper and iron and for a little metal they were willing to give many furs you can guess what happened the sailors sold the metal buttons off their coats 
the brass handles were taken off their bureaus candlesticks tin cans copper kettles small knives bits of iron everything that was metal on the ship was sold to the indians for furs and some things were not sold for the indians would steal many bits they could not buy they cut the blocks out of the tackle even heavy iron pieces were cut from the ropes and tossed to a nearby canoe they were clever thieves the captain said one indian would talk to the sentinel on duty while another at a little distance would pull the ironwork off and toss it overboard to some friend but the indians sold quantities of furs of all kinds wolf bear fox deer marten and many others besides the beautiful sea otter skins and robes the sailors bought more than they needed because the indians were so eager to sell and they knew that at least they would be warm in the north so when all repairs were made new spars put in place fresh water in all the water casks fresh game and fish on board for a few days the men rested by their stay on land and all was ready the two little ships sailed out of the harbour northward after a long time in the north exploring they went over on the asiatic side there at kamchatka they found russian fur traders who wanted to buy their furs as captain cook was going to china then the men and sailors did not need the furs longer and many were sold to the russians but the sailors did not know the value of these furs and did not ask high prices besides there were no shops in which to spend the money and they did not know what to do with it russian silver rubles seemed of so little value that these pieces of money were kicked about the decks like chips of wood then the ships sailed southward and some time after reached china now the chinese were just as anxious for those furs as the indians of nootka sound had been for bits of metal the sailors were amazed at the prices paid to them and yet very few of the furs were perfect some had been used for blankets in their bunks some were partly worn when they bought them from the natives and others again had been worn on deck and were spotted with tar and grease yet the chinese bought them now when the sailors learned the high value of the furs they were eager to return to nootka sound for more they could make their fortunes so easily they almost mutinied when the officers refused to allow them to go back but this was a royal exploring expedition not a fur trading voyage so back to london they went arriving there in seventeen eighty captain cook had been killed at the sandwich islands but the journals of the expedition were published at once besides that the sailors told everyone they met of the great wealth to be secured by trading with the indians at nootka sound how the indians would sell furs for bits of metal and the chinese would pay high prices for the furs that was the beginning of the fur trade along the north pacific coast soon after these journals were published ships began to go to nootka sound for furs the first were english ships sailing from india and china captain mires of whom we will hear later was an english trader from india immediately after yankee captains began to go from boston and from other cities on the north atlantic coast the revolutionary war was over and the vessels were almost idle captain robert gray was one of these new england captains both he and captain mires had some interesting adventures as the next few chapters will show End of chapter two